after summer break, we are back with new episode in the video podcast series at Center Stage. For those who have been following us, the series needs no introduction. But for you, maybe first time joiners in the at the Center Stage series, we talk about trending topics, regulatory changes and the most pressing issues in the fast changing economy, especially in booming sectors and industries. My name is Sasha Pop and I'm your host. I'm a long-time radio guy and lately also a podcaster with very diverse interests. The sector that has seen a meteoric rise during the pandemic is, of course, e-commerce. In September last year, economists were still estimating how much this sector would rise in the years to come. But since then, the circumstances of the global markets have changed drastically. We have entered into the era of inflation, geopolitical turmoil in the heart of Europe and supply chain disruptions. So many reasons why many consumers are tightening their belts and hunting for deep discounts. But another blow for the companies from this sector operating in the EU is coming from the regulators with new obligations related to consumer protection. My guests today are Jure Chuk and Tiasha Pirnat. Jure is the founder and owner of natural cosmetics company Cicatella, with a decade of professional experience working for some of the world's largest brands in the cosmetic sector, and his marketing background makes him an ideal counterparty to Tiasha, associate in CMS Slovenia and a member of the commercial team. We will merge Jure's refreshing view in the industries, present and future, and Tiasha's insights on the regulatory framework of the retail sector and will try to offer some clarity on the anticipated changes in e-commerce related either to technological advancements or regulatory changes such as the most recent one the new EU enforcement and modernization directive more commonly known as the omnibus directive which should have been transposed into the national laws of EU member states by November 28 2021 and brought into effect in national legislation by May 28, 2022. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the invitation. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Good, good. So really happy to be here. <laughs> Tiasha, let's first look at the Omnibus Directive. Where do we stand regarding its implementation across the EU? And what are the biggest changes it is bringing? What is its main purpose, basically? Uh, yeah, as you said in the beginning, nearly a year has already passed since the lapse of the transposition period of the Omnibus Directive. However, many member states still have not implemented the directive in their national laws. At the moment, uh, these are Slovenia, Italy, Poland, Slovakia and Ireland. Um, they are behind schedule with the implementation and the rest of member states have already implemented it in their national laws, um, most of them during this year. Um, otherwise, the new Omnibus Directive is part of the EU's New Deal for Consumers Initiative. And its main purpose is to strengthen and expand the scope of EU consumer laws and to modernize the EU uh, consumer protection rules in view of new market developments. Um, the Omnibus Directive aims to strengthen the uh, consumer rights in EU through enhanced enforcement procedures and increased transparency requirements in digital marketplaces in order to help consumers make uh, better and more well-informed decisions uh, while purchasing uh, stuff online. 
Um, regarding the biggest changes the Omnibus Directive is bringing, um, first, it expands the scope of um, the existing consumer rights framework that applies to uh, physical services and goods to cover digital content, goods, and services. This means that the consumers will, um, that are involved in transactions with digital goods um, can now benefit from the traditional consumer rights, such as the right to uh, necessary pre-contractual information and the right to withdraw within 14 days without cost. These consumer rights are now also um, extended to free digital content and services um, as the consumers use a wide range of services uh, for free online in return for their personal information, in which case these services are not actually free as they were paid with personal data. So, with a few exceptions, with the new um, Omnibus Directive, uh, EU consumer protection rights will also apply to free digital services and goods such as cloud storage and social media accounts. Then, the second change are the new pricing uh, transparency requirements. Perhaps the most talked about change is the obligation to disclose prior price when announcing the sale or discount. This means that the prices of discounted products will have to be publicly available for at least 30 days beforehand. And businesses will also have to indicate um, where the price of a particular good or service has been altered uh, based on automated decision-making. This, for example, includes the dynamic pricing reflecting seasonal periods, such as price increases of hotels during the summer and holiday breaks. Then the third change is increase, increased online marketplace transparency. Online marketplaces must, for example, establish whether uh, a seller is a professional trader or a private individual, and also what parameters are used to rank their search results. For example, the purchase history, price, distance, customer rating, or a combination of these. And they also have to disclose if uh, an offer appearing on the search page is paid advertising. And lastly, um, prohibition on fake reviews and review manipulation in digital marketplaces. Uh, the Omnibus Directive additionally introduces the obligation to uh, disclose if and how consumer reviews are being, are being verified and if the review is sponsored. So in brief, these are the main, main changes I would highlight. Great, understood. But from what you've just said, Tiasha, Omnibus means more transparency from the standpoint of the consumer. But what does it mean for the entities conducting business online? Is this just another compliance burden, basically? Yes, the Omnibus Directive gives the consumers more rights and places more restrictions on businesses to protect the consumers. I imagine that complying with the Omnibus Directive can be difficult, especially if you're a new company. As thanks to the Omnibus Directive, businesses now have more restrictions to follow, uh, which means that they need to review and update their pricing processes and transparency practices. They also need to review and update the terms and conditions for all digital goods and services sold to EU consumers so that they include the traditional consumer rights, etc. Um, the new directive brings strict requirements and it is important that businesses do their homework to ensure that they meet the new EU standards, as will be determined by national legislations. If not because this right uh, to protect the consumer as a more vulnerable party, then in order to avoid severe GDPR level fines for violations that the Omnibus Directive introduces. Okay. Uh, Jure, now we kind of set up the stage. Uh, any thoughts on this from the other side? 
I think the whole idea behind the regulation is good. It's good-heartedly meant, but um, it's quite a burden for for little startups. So if if we think about the industry as a whole, you know how this will affect it. The way I see it, it won't be such a big problem for the big companies because they already have the departments. Everything is programmed from scratch, um, so they can do pretty much whatever uh, they want with the website and the way they treat data and so on. Whereas for the little companies, for the startups, as for example, ours, it's quite, first of all, a lot of work. Um, a lot of thought has to be put in it because we have to learn about it to understand how to implement it. We don't have departments that can read uh, law, let's say. I myself, I, th I think about myself being quite well educated and already reading all these directives, I get pretty lost. Um, so this is, you know, the whole industry will, will be fine. It, it's a good thing. So um, it, it will be good for the consumer, I believe. But implementing it technically for the little companies as, as ours, will be quite hard, I believe, because first of all, we'll, depending on which platform you're selling, like what on which platform your e-commerce is based on, we'll have to wait for the plugins to be made. We'll have to put those plugins as we work with the GDPR plugins. This will make our websites heavier. So Shopify, I guess, will be the first to you know come up with, with a good solution for it and then uh, followed by... WordPress and so on, but it still will will be technically quite challenging to follow all of it, especially if we have a lot of products. Because with all these price changes and things, it's it. I, I don't see it possible, you know, uh, following all all this stuff. So I, I think the main the main problem for us is, as I see it, from the way we do business, it's not that much how we display prices. They, you know, it's pretty much a common thing. You go online, I mean, we, we program so that it displays the price, regular price, and then what the discounted price was. But what if we want to give discount to certain people, let's say like VIP, you know, when people go into a store, they get all these, you know, VIP cards or whatever, um, discounts, especially devoted to them. Um, I don't see how we'll be able to do so because we do it pretty much on daily basis the way we think that day. You know, for example, if we like one client, we'll give them a discount. We'll say like, hey, do you know, buy buy the cream for 20% off. And we don't want to do that for everyone coming onto our website. So reading the whole um, legislative, let's say, uh, I, I don't see how to do that. And I believe we'll just put out the fire when, when we'll have it because it's pretty impossible that we start to think about all these things, start to implement them now because it means basically that I'll put a whole company into a stop, figure this out, and then, you know, work with it. So we'll just wait, see how the industry reacts to it, what people think, and then try to follow, hoping that we don't get any fines uh, on our way because we want to do it. We want to do it well. We just don't know yet how we would implement all this. Yeah, great answer. 
Uh, okay, let's look at the topic of discount announcements, maybe. These regulatory measures aim to prevent price manipulations, such as false advertising of discounted prices that are not even discounted. So now online sellers, as well as brick and mortar store retailers, will have to indicate the lowest price applied to the product during a period not shorter than 30 days, as mentioned before prior to the application of the price reduction. Definitely a good thing for a consumer, but what does this mean for the e-commerce and retail in general? Does this mean that a seller has to hold the base price constant for at least 30 days before launching the sale? In a time of high inflation, this can be quite a challenge, I could imagine. Jure, how do you think this effect will smaller online sellers in particular? How 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 much problem will this be for, for you, for example? We don't change prices that often, even though the inflation is ridiculous, because we basically anticipate them um, going forward. So we know in what quarters or, or half years will increase the prices. So the time period is not of a concern. And also for us, we have just free products online, it won't be that hard to program it. Also, because we keep the prices the same all the time. I think what what we'll do is just we won't give discounts anymore because and, and we'll give coupons to people because basically you can always go a bit around uh, the law, you know. So if we want to reward someone we'll just give them a coupon. Let's say, you know, here you have 20 euro coupon and they can apply it on the website and we're not using discounts anymore. It doesn't even matter if we have it. I think also it's good in a way because then websites won't be able to have discounts all the time and trick people into, into buying stuff. But it's still quite a challenge to think about all of it. You know, how will we do it? Also, if we want to apply coupons, say we won't be doing discounts anymore, here's 20 bucks to, to, to buy our products. Um, it, w- I have to think how to you know, pay the, uh, the tax on that and just put my head into it. So I, for, for me now, like when you guys introduced me actually to this thing, you know, I wasn't paying attention that much. So you called me and you're like, what do you think about Omnibus? I'm like, oh, I have to read all this stuff. I can, you know, I know I heard of it. I haven't done it. I haven't done my homework. And, and looking at it now, I'm just confused. You know, at the start, uh, don't know how to implement it. So the way I usually do it is when this stuff comes, I find someone up work or, you know, I go to law offices or whoever get a consultant and, you know, try to figure with them how to how to work this out. Yeah, especially for, as you said, startups and smaller businesses, this this can be a nightmare, probably. Yasha, you've also mentioned that reviews will be taken under the scrutiny of the regulators across EU. Uh, can you explain uh, and expand on this a little bit? In what way? Yeah, of course. Um, in an effort to increase transparency in online marketplaces, the Omnibus Directive blacklisted manipulation of reviews such as posting fake reviews, deleting negative reviews and publishing only the positive ones. 
claiming that consumer reviews have been verified where they haven't been, transferring endorsement from one product to another, not disclosing paid search rankings, etc. Um, it's also essential under the new directive for businesses who provide access to customer reviews of products to disclose information if and how they ensure that the published reviews come from genuine customers, so from consumers who actually used and purchased the product. This does not, not, of course, mean that businesses now have a duty to verify reviews, but that they have to disclose if they have these procedures in place to verify the reviews or not, and if yes, to provide information how the checks are made, how the reviews are processed. And of course, if you do not disclose this information and do not have these pro uh, processes in place, then you should not put on your website that your customer reviews are being verified. Um, the Omnibus Directive will not, of course, achieve the complete eradication of fake reviews, but I think that it is certainly a step in the right direction. But how this transparency regarding consumer reviews and verify, verifying these reviews will work in practice is another question. And Jure, I imagine that this will not be as simple as it looks at first sight. Yeah, definitely. Like listening to you guys, um, I have a whole, whole head just full of too many information exploding right now. But we, we were trying to solve this review thing uh, already. Like we, we're solving it for two years now, searching for platforms that will thrive throughout all this period that won't get too affected by laws that people will still trust them. Like, for example, Trustpilot and all these big systems that provide verified reviews. And I'm also, as a consumer, quite upset because I see a lot of websites launching, having awesome reviews, selling terrible things to consumers, tricking them all the time. And you can't even, you know, reply to, to everything or give a bad review to the company because everything's just fake. So I want to put that to an end as well. And I, I feel like all this directive is pretty much on my consumer side, whereas stuff is technically very challenging when we go into the way, you know, programming and, and things work because we'll always be able to program something around it. I, I don't think there will be, you know, uh, an inspector who will go into a company and put all codes, especially like the codes that are scratch made um, apart and figure out like how these reviews are, are happening, how people are getting it on the website. So for example, I'll, I'll give you an example, right? We're using Trustpilot. I think it's the best platform. People still trust in it, like believe it, and and uh, it, it increases our sales. But what we could do is when Sasha, for example, buys a product from us, I send him an automatic email saying like, hey, Sasha, how are you satisfied with our product, la, la, la. And if he's not, I do everything that he won't give us a bad review. And then Trustpilot review comes, like how would you write, you know, Chikatella? And Sasha would even go, like, first of all, I would make him not write a review because I would give him a good refund or whatever. But, like, he could go as well, oh, this company is awesome, you know. Like, I had a problem and they solved it, so it's all good. Because he was upset before, he's not upset when he gets a review. And the second, the, the, the request for the review from the trust pilot. And the second thing is also we can fake it in a way that 
I buy my own product. So I find someone who finds people who buy my products, who write reviews. And this is what's happening pretty much all the time, especially on Amazon. You have these big marketplaces that people treat pretty much the same way. So it's a lot of fake stuff. And therefore, it's on the part of a consumer to understand how to deal with this. Um, Because if I'm educated as a consumer what a fake review looks like, then I'm safe. And you need to think about it a lot because if I give you an example, I go on the website, if there's fake reviews, I'll know straight, like these are fake reviews. There is no way a copywriter, which companies use, even if they have different copywriters, copywriters would, would fake reviews so that they would look real. Because it's really hard. If someone is coming from their own, you know, guts, like deep inside, first of all, reviews, lots of times people curse, for example. You know, there's very emotional reviews going on. And also, if a company solves a big problem, these reviews are way wider. They explain how and, you know, when or or whatever uh, you solve their problem. It's the same if you're interviewing people for the job. They say, like, I did this, I did that. When you ask them, like, how did you do this? You'll see if the story, you know, is good or not. So you'll know whether they really made this. And same same as with reviews. So when you scroll through them uh, as a consumer, you need to look for real stories, you know, deep emotional connection to a product. That's how people write it. You also find some random stuff that just doesn't belong there. For example, we get people writing their address in in a review. And that's actually a problem because they write a review. We're like, hey, hey, Trustpilot sends them uh, an invitation. Do you know, how did you like Chikatela's product? And they write a review with all their data on it. And they just post it because they don't know how to use the, the thing. It happens all the time. So you'll see all these reviews coming in saying just some random things that that each 10th reviews like that. And that's why, as I said, it's on the consumer to be educated, you know, what are fake reviews to, to know how to use all the platforms, Google and so on, because Facebook, Google, these big companies have an amazing system to, um, you know, save us from all this stuff. For example, Facebook, apart from what we do, is asking people how they satisfied with our services, and that's how we get a, a score. And I think th- this is a good thing that will be. It, it will be really hard to prevent it in terms of law because it's way too many parameters that have to be addressed um, when, when you're building such a law. It's you know the directive is in a good thing but if we think in a way like they i think they should just step back and think how stuff is made technically and say like hey technically this has to be made differently this has to be based on such encryption technology or you know so just take a step back and not think about it that much as a as a law and how to protect people but basically how to set it up technically so that it will function uh, in favor of consumer. Great. Dyasha, does influencer marketing also fall under this whole scope, the big umbrella of the new directive? 
Yes, to a certain extent it does. And um, this also touches a bit uh, what you said previously, Yuri, about hiring uh, other companies, copywriters to write fake reviews. The Omnibus Directive blacklisted also commissioning another legal or natural person, so a copywriter or an influencer to submit false consumer reviews or endorsement or misrepresenting these reviews on social media in order to promote products. So businesses will have to really ask themselves how uh, influencers they will work with can substantiate their reviews. And uh, in other words, how can they prove that they aren't paying the influencers to give them five-star reviews? Then another thing is that under the new directive, um, Providers of online marketplaces should inform the consumers whether a third party offering goods, services, or digital content is a trader or a non-trader. And this is based on the declaration that this third party makes to the um, online marketplace. And if such a third party is a non-trader, then the EU consumer rights do not apply, which should stimulate the influencer to declare and disclose on social media platforms to the consumers if they are a trader or a non-trader. Um, other than this, the main provisions uh, that can come into play in the context of influencer marketing is still the prohibition of misleading, um, of misleading omissions under the Unfair Commercial Practices Directive, whereas with other forms of hidden marketing, the failure to clearly declare the commercial element in influencers' content or practice such as paid posts, affiliate content, tagging the brand, and so on, may be considered as misleading practice if the influencer is deemed to be a trader or acting on behalf of the trader. And the commercial element is considered to be present whenever the influencer receives any form of consideration or endorsement. So this includes all payments, discounts, percentage from affiliate links, free products, trip, event invitations, and also non-monetary payment. However, there is still considerable uncertainty regarding influencer marketing in EU, as certain influencer practices may still fall outside of the scope of this directive, and there are different rules in all member states. In Slovenia, for example, social media and influencers are not yet regulated, and we only have non-binding recommendations on influencer marketing by the Slovenian Advertising Chamber. So it will be interesting to see how the Omnibus Directive will be transposed in our national law, and if we will then maybe have more clear rules on influencer marketing, as in my opinion, we should, uh, to at least to some extent, regulate influencers. Yeah, definitely. But it's, yeah, like what that, whatever you mentioned now <laughs> is kind of really confusing, at least for me, yeah. because influencer marketing is uh, huge at the moment. Jure, any Thoughts on this? Definitely. I think it has to be put to a stop because what was going on on social media is, is ridiculous. Like pretty much everything is paid for. Also with this, let's say, nano micro-influencers, people having 1,000 followers, all their friends promoting things that are paid. Uh, but the, the main... Do you know, group of people that gets affected by this, I believe, is little girls, especially uh, children. Mm, not, not, not so much men as they are women, because they have this peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, fo following idea. They like to follow uh, other girls who use, you know, hair products. They want to be like them. They want to uh, have same like shine to the hair and and so on. So. 
this definitely has to be put to a stop. But I don't find it that easy as well to to do so because um, it will be first of all technically quite but technically challenging. But I also think there will be a lot of companies that will start doing things differently. You know, moving into other places that are not that regulated um, where, where the law can't catch you and so on. Because if you think about it, the internet is a pretty global thing. So I can do my business from Liechtenstein or, you know, I can do it from Slovakia where the rules don't apply that much. And you see this happening already. So countries that um, want to be good, let's say, for business, uh, are opening this market. They, they don't have... Let, let's say, for example, if you do stuff in America, it's completely different. And I see companies like my colleagues and so moving to countries and to markets where it's easier to do business this way. Um, so I don't know how, how the law will address that, but it's definitely a good thing that influencers say uh you know th this was a bad thing uh, but also it's again on the consumer to to think about it there's children using social media and there's mums pulling like parents pulling cards for for different products that you know they're just buying online so i think we have to put it also in education and everything it's a way wider problem to see like who to trust actually. And it, it's on people, you have to understand. I find it ridiculous how there's one influencer promoting each week different thing. Like, hey, you know, I changed my mind, this is the best thing now. And people are like, wow, you know, I, I have to get it. So I believe that also in foreign countries, like bigger markets, um, influencer marketing is pretty much in, in a decline. It was a big thing, whereas now, especially like my generation thinks of it, you know, they're full of uh, rubbish. Uh, they, they talk rubbish. We, I don't trust pretty much anyone online when I see a commercial. But if I see, you know, this is a paid ad and someone's talking about it responsibly, openly, transparently, then I'm like, all right, you know, I give credit to this person. So so it's good, but it's still always on me to understand like who does good content, who thinks about it, who has, let's say, paid advertising for just certain brands and not advertise uh, everything that, that they get under their hands. Yeah, true. Looking at the provisions of Omnibus, it looks like the legislator is just responding to the existing unfair practices in the sector with a lack of future-facing solutions. The same has happened uh, with the EU privacy framework, which is now outdated. The retail industry is experiencing accelerated digitalization, so the role of data is increasingly important. If cookies were a threat to the consumer's privacy, how will we handle the increased use of artificial intelligence in e-commerce? Jure, maybe you start. Well, again, I think the lawmakers have to, you know, do a step back and think about it from a technical perspective because it just can't be solved piece by piece, adding laws to control a frame that just can't be, like, to, to put stuff in a frame that can't, can't be, be controlled. I think... 
it's a very hard thing to do the way we're doing it now. Like low on low on low, it just shouldn't function this way because it's pretty easy to solve if you think about it technically. Because um, what's happening now, let's say we have all this GDPR and stuff, is good for the big companies because what, what happens is Facebook opened their own shop. You know, so you're within their platform, you buy there, it's their data, it's all good. Um, same with Google, you know, it's their data, they have all these cohorts, they put you in a group and pretty much have their own data. Apple will have their own data as well. So all these companies, we, what we did actually with the GDPR is that all these big companies will own more and more data and will be more and more profitable because basically I can't see, you know, who buys on my website and, and things like this. I think the law is pretty ridiculous because real world functions completely differently. You know, if you think how people shop in a store and how I as a person can get their data when they're in a store, um, for example, they're looking at uh, toothbrushes and I see them looking at toothbrushes. I have a promotion there and, you know, I try to sell them something different. Basically, I can say, you know, transfer this information to someone else who sells them something else in, in another place and so on. It, it's a bit, I think we should just put people like all these data into certain groups, like, for example, in a way, what, what Google's doing now, so that it's anonymous, but still know how people behave. And also, if they're on my website, if all this data is anonymous, so that I know like what types of people, like how do they behave on a website and so on. It's very essential for us. You know, it, basically they're taking everything away that improves the website, that um, helps people also shop because I want to know who comes on my website. I want to know if there's older people buying or younger people buying because this is how I'll be able to make content for them. And this has to be addressed again technically so it's quite easy to solve it just put people into groups make all the data anonymous you know like don't connect it to ip addresses or whatever um and and that's pretty much it like put some crypto technology on it and i i think you know this is how it should be treated because with the law you won't be able to make it because as you said there's ai coming when we'll have API on our websites, there will definitely be technological, like technical things that will connect all this. So we'll be able to go around a whole system, like straight. You know, I think in a year we already get all the data from different sources and treat people differently because already, like the way they behave on our website, you know, when I get their email and stuff with all, let's say, profiling where we do quiz funnels or whatever, like we'll, we'll own a lot of data that will be pretty much well hidden from the regulators. Um, so that's why it, it has to go hand in hand, not like police, you know, uh, banging on people like do this, do that. They don't even know how, how stuff functions. It has to be like big companies, small companies, startups, like everyone sitting together with the lawmakers and, and thinking about all, all these things. Great. One last question regarding the marketplaces. I understand the benefits of disclosing whether the party offering goods services is a trader or a non-trader, 
But what are the benefits of disclosing the main parameters of the ranking of offers presented on the marketplaces? We know that consumer generally skips reading terms and conditions. We all do that, of course. Privacy data policy, who reads this? And now we are imposing additional policies for the end consumer. Tiasha. Yeah, the idea behind this is um, when looking for an offer on an online marketplace or a price comparison site, many consumers will only look at the top results. So it is important that the consumers know what criteria is used to rank the offers and if these offers appearing on the search page, uh, page is a paid advertising. Uh, for example, an online booking platform responds to the consumer search request with a list of offers ranked by relevance. So, however, um, rather than being based on objective criteria that the consumer would normally expect, this sorting by relevance, um, some offers appear on top of the list because the accommodation providers pay a higher commission to the platform. Um, but it's also important to note here uh, that this does not mean businesses will have to disclose detailed functioning of the ranking mechanisms, including algorithms. So this will remain a company secret, but the consumers will be informed about the general process of the ranking system. However, yeah, I agree with you, Sasha. Most likely, the majority of consumers will not check what criteria is used for ranking the offers. So it is actually questionable how much consumers will benefit from this additional obligation imposed on the business. On the business. But this falls under the overall goal of making online marketplaces more transparent. So we will, I guess, see over time if this is a good thing or not. Jure? I think it's ridiculous because if you think how the whole retail market functions, you go into a store, there's different levels on the shelf. Like who's on a middle shelf? No one discloses that stuff. Do you know yeah. why, like, why this tuna is on a middle shelf and why my tuna is on a bottom shelf? Like who's paying more, who's paying less? Stuff just doesn't work like that. That's why, in a way, it's good to know, like, you know, this is a paid ad. Okay. Like it's a paid ad. I click it. Some people don't click paid ads. Um... I don't even care. It's always on a consumer. Like I don't understand how people buy bad stuff on the internet. It, you know, like you, you check also like different sources, whether the reviews on, I don't know, Glassdoor or whatever are, are good. You know, there's certain, like when the company is big enough, especially you can understand if, if the service is good or a product and so on, you know, that you have various sources where you can check these things. So I don't think it's a, it, it's a good thing. It should function. I mean, real world functions completely differently in a way. So why are we making all this digital thing so complicated? I don't understand. And that's a good closure, I think. Why more complicated in the digital world and why more legislated? Uh, okay. Tiasha, uh, Jure, it was a pleasure. I'm sure we opened some new doors or uh, started to talk about it. And uh, yeah, thank you to all of you who took the time to join us today for yet another episode of At Center Stage. If you want to receive an invitation to our next episode in your inbox, subscribe to the podcast notifications through our webpage, where all previous episodes can also be found. Until next time. Stay safe and Tiasha Jure, thanks again.
Thank you, Sasha. Thank you, Thank you everybody. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.